0: Good morning. I'm so glad that you're here and I'm delighted to be here with you this morning to close out uh, this uh, wonderful season of Amen and uh, looking forward to finishing up the book of Romans with you. I I want to assure you that uh, uh, Sanders Lane, not Lamont, Sanders Lane Wilson will be back uh, this fall and he'll be uh, doing the same thing he's been doing for what these 21 years. And uh, so uh, I want to just encourage you uh, that uh, starting back in the fall, uh, Sandy will be here and we'll con- be continuing on with this uh, very important ministry uh, to the men of our community. And so we're so glad that you're here and uh, I'm delighted to be. They called down, they called deep down into the bullpen uh, to get me. And I'm not sure I'm, I'm worthy of closing out this book, but I want to invite you to turn to Romans chapter 16. Uh, the last few verses, and I can assure you, no matter what your Bible says, or if you've consulted a commentary, that these uh, verses should be included in the book of Romans, and they are the inspired Word of God, and uh, it is Paul's doxology. And uh, before we read, I want to just tell you a, a story that happened to me. I, I went to school at uh, the University of North Carolina, and I came to faith during my time there. and. I had the privilege of going to a church called the Chapel Hill Bible Church. And we had a wonderful pastor. And uh, the whole time of my tenure there, thankfully I made it through in four years, uh, the pastor preached on the book of Ephesians. Now at the end of those four years, do you think I could tell you what the book of Ephesians was about? Absolutely not. I had no clue what the book of Ephesians was about. We had so studied the, the bark on the individual trees that we had lost sight of the forest, of what was this thing about. And I think that uh, the Apostle Paul, and I, I wanted to try to get how many sermons, I think I lost track, probably over a thousand sermons, uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones preached through the book of Romans. Uh, uh, John Piper, you know, about 300 sermons uh, through this book. And it's easy when, when you study something so in-depth that you can lose sight of the farce of what is this book about. And I think this is um, what Paul is trying to do in this doxology. He's trying to uh, recapitulate or, and to remind his readers there in Rome what this book has been about and he talks about uh, this wonderful gospel of grace. Now, uh, you can see at the top of the outline, uh, Sandy might articulate this just a bit different than I would, but uh, why was the book of Romans written in the first place? And you can see the purpose there. That God would be glorified, and that obviously comes from verses like the one we're going to look at today, that God would be glorified by a united missional church Humbled under gospel grace. Guys, you know that uh, how easy it is for churches to get divided over the smallest matters. And one of the things that the Apostle Paul did for the church of Rome and all the churches that would come after is to remind us that we're all humble. The ground is level uh, at the foot of the cross. All of us are sinners saved by grace, and that humbles us. And when we realize how forgiven, accepted, and loved we are, that begins to change us. And we begin to be a people who's quick to forgive, quick to love, and quick to accept people that are very different than we are. And so that's the idea of being humbled under gospel grace. Chapters 1 to 4... Coming under under gospel grace, that would be uh, the, the most religious among us and the most irreligious. The, the Gentiles, the heathens, and, and the religious folks in, in chapter 2. Number two, living under gospel grace. Once you come under that grace, learning how to live in light of that grace. Uh, number three, the overflow of that gospel grace. Salvation is of the Jews, Jesus says, and so it starts with the Jews, and overflows to the nations. And we're the the beneficiaries of that. Uh, The fullness of the Gentiles coming in, being grafted into the one olive tree, and becoming part of the people of God. And number four, Romans 12 to 16, a people that that is shaped and strengthened by that gospel grace. And that's kind of where we come to today, these last few verses in Romans 16. Hear the word of God. Be glory forevermore, through Jesus Christ, Amen. This is the Word of God, Amen. Well, you've got a number of blanks, and I'll try to try to hit these on your outline. And uh, uh, let's—I think the main idea here is that uh, that God wants God magnifies His glory. God magnifies His glory by making us strong in his gospel. And if, if God does that, if God is able to do that, then it seems to me that it behooves us to come to a place where we we treasure, we cherish that gospel. And I think that the passage here sets forth six reasons. Six reasons why we're to, to treasure and cherish the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you've been raised in church, and you've been in church for a long time, it's easy to lose sight of the wonder, uh, of just the wonder to think that the God of heaven, who spoke the galaxies into existence, that He knows you, He knows the very number of hairs, for some of us He's got a challenge to kind of keep track of that, Uh, He knows the very number of hairs on our head, He loves us to think that God loves you. One of the things I think is really, really important that, uh, and and I want to challenge you with today, is hopefully coming out of this brief session together, that you'll figure out for you personally how it is that you need to cultivate a more firm, soul-absorbing confidence in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that the Lord wants me to cultivate a more firm, soul-absorbing confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, let's, let's look at that. Uh, we, we first treasure this glorious gospel of God because of its supernatural power. Its supernatural power. You see this, obviously, right out of the shoot in verse 25. Now to him who is able... To strengthen you according to my gospel. There, the word uh, now to him who is able. That word able is that same word you, you, you got in the very beginning. And one of the things, uh, one of the questions would, I have for you is uh, if you're at all kind of interested in kind of comparing and contrasting things, you're going to find that most all of the concepts in this brief paragraph were hit on in chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. And so where we we first learned about the gospel of God, that it is the power, it's the dynamite. This is one of those Greek words we all can kind of remember, dunamis. Uh, That's the word we have here, uh, to him who is able. God is powerful to strengthen us, to establish us, to to root us according to his gospel, to the gospel that Paul preaches. Well, one of the things I, I, I... This may be uh, kind of a basic observation here, but one of the first things I want you to see here is the gospel is divinely powerful. The gospel is divinely powerful to strengthen believers. To strengthen believers. And um, what, what ought to sort of strike us with that, just right out of the chute here, is wait, 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 wait. I thought the gospel was for outsiders. I thought the gospel was for the unsaved. I thought the gospel where it was for people that have have yet to bow the knee and confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Wait a minute, you're talking about God using His gospel to strengthen believers. Well, this, uh, a number of years ago, this was sort of a revolutionary thing for me because I grew up in a heritage where the gospel was for the outsiders. Once you got the gospel, once you repented and believed on Jesus, then you moved on from the elementary things and then you, you proceeded into the meat of the word, a Hebrews 5 kind of idea. Uh, you left, left behind the milk and you went to the meat. And one of the things that has been uh, revolutionary for me in my ministry, uh, it changed a lot of my parenting. It, It changed almost everything in my life to learn that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is for believers. And today, if you've been walking with Jesus for 50 years, if you've been walking with Jesus for one week, your greatest need today is to rediscover the power of the gospel in your life as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as a, as a business associate, as a business owner. Because one of the things we always do, we look to other things to, to identify ourselves and it creates in many of us a neurotic insecurity when uh, we know from Romans chapter eight that what is our true identity? We are sons of the living God. The spirit of God has taken up resident in our, residence in our life, and we're His children. We're His beloved children. Well, you, you go back to Romans chapter one in verses 16 and 17, and you, you read this. for Paul says, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel." For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, to the Gentile. Well, the first thing that we learn about the gospel, well, we learn a lot of things really before this. But one of the big things we learn in Romans 1 here in verse 16 is the gospel is divinely powerful to save all who believe. So the gospel, what Paul said, is divinely powerful to strengthen believers, but secondly, it's divinely powerful to save all who believe. Now, uh, one of the things that's fascinating to me is I love studying uh, biographies and uh, the lives of great men and women in, in past generations, and it's fascinating to study how many people have been converted... To Jesus Christ by reading the book of Romans. In fact, uh, many, most of us here, sitting here today, we're indebted because one uh, chubby uh, Augustinian monk read Romans chapter 1, and it was like a bomb going off in his life, and he, and he said this, he said, I beat importunately, I, it basically, I beat incessantly just like trying to find a diamond in a mine. I I was beating incessantly trying to understand what the Apostle Paul meant when he said in Romans 1.17 that in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What did Paul mean? And basically, this text became uh, the gateway by which uh, Martin Luther was born again and became a follower of Jesus. He was trying desperately to gain God's favor, to be a a studious, uh, obedient monk and obey all the rules. And it was an oppressive burden to his souls. And he began to see that there's a righteousness, a righteousness of God, that we're accepted by God, not because of anything that we do. We don't earn that righteousness. We receive that righteousness as a gift. The perfect life, and the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ and it's so fascinating uh, just to kind of go on if, if you're from a Methodist uh, heritage uh, John Wesley at altars gate in London England uh, John had tried his hand to be a missionary to the colony of Georgia On a storm-tossed Atlantic Ocean, he was faced with death. He was almost going to, thought he was going to die. He noticed the Moravians on the boat with him, born again, true believers, just a settled peace amidst that tremendous storm. He found out he wasn't born again. He went back, uh, he had failed as a missionary to to the colony of Georgia. He went back and uh, he began to read Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. And uh, there on Altar's Gate, he said, I found my heart strangely warmed. <laughs> uh, uh, the dungeon that I was in, the spiritual dungeon, flamed with light. I, uh, and uh, he was born again uh, through, through Romans chapter, chapter 1. Well, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. But here's the point. When you hear that, if you're like me, I think of, of salvation from the penalty of sin many of you here today you've been born again you have the security of your salvation Uh, you've been saved from the penalty of sin you need the gospel today to save you from the seductive power of sin in your life we will struggle with that till our dying day and that's what the Apostle Paul is getting at that uh, that my God is able to strengthen you who are believers in, in in that gospel And he says, I'm going to come to you in Romans 14, and when I come to you, church, I'm going to preach the gospel to you. And so one of the big implications here is that you never outgrow your need of the gospel. You never outgrow your need of the gospel. Well, one day the gospel is going to save us from the very presence of sin when we're going to be glorified. But I I thought I might just at this point just... I want you to be personal with this. Uh, what are the ways that God has used His gospel to strengthen you? What are the ways that, that God has used His gospel to strengthen you? Can I just tell you just a few things? These are just a couple things that come to my mind as I just sort of breeze through uh, from, a, uh, from a helicopter view through the book of Romans. Romans. Before God does have a sense of humor, and oftentimes he sends hellions into ministry, people who've given the devil a long leash to beat them. And when you step out to share Christ with one of your coworkers uh, or maybe an extended family member, you might hear this voice. Dick, who do you think you are? Don't you remember when? And the devil, the accuser of the brethren, he begins to sort of beat you with your past. As he's done that to me, can I tell you how God has strengthened me in the gospel? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So devil, trouble me not. The Bible says there's no condemnation I now have been accepted. The Father smiles upon me. The Father sings and rejoices over me. I am His blood-bought Son. There's no condemnation. I've been justified. I've been declared right with God. Okay, that's... Sometimes you got to talk. you got to talk out loud. <laughs> you got to talk to yourself out of what you know to be true of the promises of His Word. You know, one way the gospel has strengthened me in my parenting... Romans 2 verse 4 says the severity and the threat of God's judgment leads us to repentance. Does it say that? I know that this is obscure. Uh, we studied this a long time ago. Don't hold me, a, uh, professor, don't hold me accountable to that. That was way back in the fall. No. Romans 2 4 says the kindness, the kindness of God leads us to repentance leads us from trusting ourselves and leads us to embrace the gospel can I just urge you that what the the Holy Spirit convicted me of this uh, a number of years ago dick why not try a little kindness in your family you you see some behavior that is is remiss and needs to be changed rather than just sort of putting down the hammer I'm, I'm good at just putting down the hammer uh, why not minister a little kindness? Uh, the Lord's kindness is what led you to repent and believe. Why not sort of model that in your family? These are just uh, a couple little ways. How, how, how in the gospel, one of the things you know that the God of heaven today, I love Romans 8.31, God is for me. God is for me. How do I know this? Because he did not spare his only son, but freely gave him up for us all. And if he's done that to meet our ultimate need, how can we can trust him to meet all of our other needs? Uh, This is uh, some of the ways that the gospel strengthens us. So this is, I've I've sort of hammered this a little bit. Let's move more quickly through the next ones. Um, So we treasure and cherish this gospel. Of, of grace because of its supernatural power. Secondly, its Christocentric focus. So listen to what the apostle Paul says. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is a the word here is a kerygma. It's a it's a proclamation. It's a, someone coming forth to tell us news. And it's centered in a person of Jesus Christ. And let me just make a few basic observations. You know that our Savior is Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus is His human name. It reminds us what, Je- what He came to do. And remember Matthew 1:21, His name, what the angel said, His name shall be called Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. So, the name Jesus just reminds us of what what we need. We need saving. We need pardon, as the songs uh, we just sang. We need pardon for for our sins. This is the name Jesus. Christ is Jesus' official name, and it reminds us of who He is and, again, what He's come to do. How many offices did Jesus serve? He's got three, right? What are they? He's a prophet. He's a priest, and he's a king. Jesus is the prophet. He's the prophet greater than Moses, Deuteronomy 18. He's the final prophet of God. He's the priest. He's greater than even Melchizedek, the, the king of Salem, the king of peace. Uh, he's, uh, he's a priest greater than even Samuel. And he's the one who always lives to make intercession with you. And if you want to be encouraged today, no matter what you're feeling like uh, physically, spiritually this morning. Jesus Christ, the high priest, has been up all night and he's been praying for you. Hebrews 7.25 says he always lives to make intercession for his his people. He's the king. And one of the things that I love uh, about our Westminster Shorter Catechism is uh, how does Jesus Christ execute the office of a king? That he... He rules us, and He subdues. Man, I, I can't, can't tell you how uh, I ran from the Lord when I was uh, heading off to college and uh, just running fast and furious away, but the king is, as C.S. Lewis calls him, the transcendental interferer. Um, he's a hound of heaven, and he's, if you're His, He's going to get you. He's going to have you, and He certainly got me. He... he subdues our restless hearts to himself, and then he rules and defends us from all of his and our enemies. That is our king. Is he your king today? Is he your prophet? Do you come under the authority of his word? Is he your priest? Have you looked to him, to his shed blood to cover you? Is he your king? Well, this is the preaching of Jesus Christ and we see this from Romans 1 the corollary passage it says Paul a servant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was declared de- who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord Lord is His divine name. Jesus Christ is is Yahweh in the flesh. He's the God-man. And uh, so one of the things I think is just really uh, important here is that you develop a method. You develop your own method to preach Jesus Christ to your heart every day. Can I give you just maybe a, a few ideas? I've been here before, and I, one of the great men of God who's now looking at Jesus uh, in heaven, his name is Jack Miller. Jack Miller started World Harvest Mission. He was a professor at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. And, uh, and if you've been in any of our studies before, you've heard this phrase. Many people think Tim Keller said this, but he are indeed. Not researched and developed. He robbed and duplicated. Uh, He robbed and duplicated this from Jack Miller. Uh, And I like this. Uh, Cheer up. Dan, cheer up and smile. You're more sinful than you ever dared to imagine. You know, and and this is good news, man. Hey, tell me something I don't know. Here's the part that us pastors have to work like dogs to get people to, to believe. Cheer up and smile. You're more sinful than you ever dared to imagine. But at the same time, you, yes, you, are more loved than you ever dared to dream. Why? The preaching of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. You're on a quest for perfection. You'll never get it. You'll never experience that. Only in Jesus. He lived the perfect life so that you, you wouldn't have to. He died a sacrificial death for you. So I, when, when I began to get burdened about uh, uh, a sin problem in my life, uh, when I get d- despairing about my lack of growth in, in grace, Dick, cheer up and smile. You're more sinful than you ever dare to imagine. You're more loved than you ever dared to dream because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life that you could never live and he died a sacrificial death for you the Apostle Paul cut to the chase everything that we believe here at this church and every evangelical church here in our city you can summarize everything that we believe in three words God saves sinners God saves sinners how do we know that first Timothy 1 15 this was Paul's summary This is a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. This is just just crystallizing the simple message of the gospel. So um, I, I hope that you have a method to preach that gospel of Jesus Christ to your heart Um, because uh, Jerry Bridges, a man who recently went to be with the Lord as well, a great man of God, he he has a book about preach the gospel to yourself. And this is one of the great things that uh, we all desperately need, because here's my contention, and this is from David Martin Lloyd-Jones and his collection of sermons on spiritual depression. All of your unhappiness, all of your unhappiness today can be attributed to one thing, You've been listening to yourself. This morning when you woke to consciousness, your head's on the pillow, somebody's talking to you, yourself is talking to you, and re- recounting the problems of yesterday, the bills that you've got to pay. I mean, I just had a, uh, my number two daughter get married. Uh, and, you, uh, and, you know, man, those things can kind of do a number on you, you know? Serious uh, Serious number. And one of the things that you have to do is you have to take yourself up by the nap of the neck, he says. And you have to speak to your own heart out of what you know to be true of God and the promises of his word. This is why that Romans 8.1 is such an anchor. There's no condemnation. There's no condemnation for me. You have to personalize it and you have to... Sometimes you've got to talk out loud to yourself out of what you know to be true of God and the promises of his word. So there you have the you have the um, supernatural power of the gospel. You've got the Christ-centered focus of the gospel. And now thirdly we treasure and cherish this gospel because it's divinely revealed. Divinely revealed nature. So the divinely revealed nature of the gospel and you know what? Let me go back here for a minute. I'm, I'm seeing I've got a, a couple of notes that you're going. My goodness, he just left out one C. You know, my goodness, what's wrong with this guy up here? Let, go back to point number one, and let me let me uh, let me just give you just a brief. Uh, um, it says under under point C. How does God strengthen us with by His gospel? How does God strengthen us by His gospel? The gospel makes us firm, strong, and stable. And here's three different things. And I want you to, to think about this in your own life. Whether it is our faith, our faith against error, it strengthens us in our faith against error or falsehood, it strengthens us in our holiness against temptation, and our courage against persecution. I just noticed I missed that. So uh, the gospel makes us firm, strong, and stable. Our faith against error, our holiness against temptation, our courage against persecution. That is vintage John Stott uh, commentary on this this passage. So uh, let's go now to, to number three. It's divinely revealed nature. The gospel, first of all, is a revealed mystery. It's divinely revealed nature. The gospel is a revealed mystery. And B, the gospel is a fulfilled prophecy. So here the the passage reads, According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed. How has it been disclosed? Through the prophetic writings. uh, It's been made known to all nations. So you can see here that, uh, and one of the things that um, this ought to do, this ought to humble all of us. Because if we're here today and we've been born again and we've come to recognize our need of this saving gospel, we can be sure that the sovereign God of heaven has had mercy upon us, like Romans chapter 9 talks about. And this, this, this humbles us that uh, God reveals this mystery that was kept secret. He's this apocalypsis, this unveiling, uh, this revealing of this mystery, uh, that the Gentiles, people like many like us, would be included in the people of God, and that God would justify us, declare us right with him uh, through faith in Jesus, and that we would become part of this multi-ethnic, multi-racial people of God, the church. And uh, so this is just an incredible privilege that we've been given. One of the things that I want to just just briefly touch on here is that no matter where you go to church, one of the things that you ought to, to really insist upon of when people like me step up to preach the gospel. I can't tell you how often, how many Sunday school lessons... How many sermons I inflicted, yes, that word's true, inflicted on the church of Jesus with do better and be better sermons. So one of the things you do uh, when you come to a time like this, okay, what is this preacher asking me to do? Be a better husband? Be, be, Be a better father? Those types of messages in the church lead to a dry, dusty, pharisaical approach to Christianity. When you walk out of here with more of an oppressive burden of all the list of things you've got to do than when you came in here, you can be sure that you've not heard a Christian message. And one of the things here, the implication here, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be preached and taught from every text of Scripture. The gospel is to be preached and taught from every text of Scripture. Now, some of you uh, know and love the, the readings and the sermons of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the pastor of the London Baptist Tabernacle. He's called the Prince of Preachers. And one of the things I love about what he said here. He said, every road in the country of England leads to one place. Where does it lead? It leads to London town. So in the scriptures, every passage is a road that leads to Jesus Christ. So one question you ought to always be asking. In your own devotional reading, when you come together corporately to read and study God's Word, how does this passage point me to Jesus Christ? How does this passage point me to Jesus Christ, His person, His work, and His teachings? It's, it's, it's all about Jesus and every single prophetic writing. And, and, and just how, how beautiful. We, we To study Isaiah 53 and to see all that Jesus Christ endured for us. He's the ultimate suffering servant who suffered so that we might enter into glory. And so, uh, just a beautiful thing that gospel is a revealed mystery and a fulfilled prophecy. Fourthly, uh, the the gospel's worldwide proclamation. So, uh, the text goes on through the prophetic writings has been made known to whom? To all nations according to the command of the eternal God. You can see that the Apostle Paul is just reiterating what he said already in Romans 1-5, for the sake of his name among all nations. I love uh, uh, Henrietta Mears. I don't know if you know who Henrietta Mears is, but she was a Christian educator. Uh, Much of her ministry was back in the 1950s. Uh, She died in 1963. Uh, But she was... uh, on staff at the hollywood presbyterian church and uh, she uh, led to faith people like bill bright if you've uh, ever heard of the organization called campus crusade for christ uh henrietta mears a woman of of some uh, stature and uh, just a great woman of god and i i I love uh, sort of a lot of quotes but i particularly love this quote from henrietta mears that uh, talks about the scope when you think about what your, the, the ministry of our churches should be about and what our own personal ministry should be about. We need to be thinking the world. We need to be thinking to all nations. In fact, all the nations in many ways are coming to us right here in Memphis. But listen to what she says. There is no magic in small plans. When I consider my ministry, I think of the world. Anything less than that would not be worthy of my Christ nor of His will for my life. God wants to use you to reach the world. The Great Commission, making disciples of all nations, is your responsibility. Now, one of the things I've got here is, is you see here, the scope of gospel proclamation and, and, and B... So, to to all nations, see the ways of gospel proclamation. There's a lot of ways to do this. You've got particular gifts. Some of you have an incredible gift of giving. Some of you are great teachers, and some of you are are wonderful mentors of, of younger men that are coming behind us. But look in Romans 16, I think it gives us some instruction here that all of us have particular hats we ought to wear in this worldwide enterprise of proclaiming the gospel. Notice, um, uh, first of all, in Romans 16, the wealthy patronage of Phoebe. Phoebe, the servant of the church of Kincrea. She was a wealthy woman. And, uh, in fact, she's the woman who delivered the letter of Romans to the church at Rome. Uh, but she was incredibly wealthy, and she used her wealth to help further the, the extension of the gospel. The tender mothering of Rufus's mother. Just her incredible hospitality and, and taking care of Paul and his compatriots. And the gracious hosting and hospitality of Gaius. Of opening, opening his home. So friends, one of the things I want to just encourage you with, everything you have, your your talents, your treasures, your home, every resource you have, just hold it with an open hand to the Lord say, Lord, what of this do you want to use? I was speaking uh, just on Wednesday night to a friend of mine, a young man who is from a a, a privileged family here in our city, and uh, I was challenging him because I've Challenge one of my own children, in particular, with this, uh, son. You've been given a lot. You know, don't apologize for the for for the resources and the things that you've been given, uh, financial, uh, just particular gifts and abilities. Don't don't apologize for that. But let me just tell you this: every single day of your life, everything that you have is going to be one or two two things for you. It'll be an idol that you set your heart upon and it will break your heart. This stuff, you weren't made ultimately for this, the, all this stuff. You can be an idol and it will break your heart or it can be a tool that you use in the Lord's kingdom service. Lord, for me and mine, may everything we have and everything we are be a tool used to proclaim your gospel. I would urge you to, to, to consider that. Consider that for your own own life. Um, Jim Elliott, uh, there's some of you I know that are considering what God's calling you to do as a vocation, especially some of you younger men. This was a quote that always sort of just challenged me. You know of Jim Elliott, who was a wrestler at Wheaton College and a strapping young man that he and his compatriots went to the jungles of Quito, Ecuador, uh, to take the name of Jesus to all nations And uh, this is what he, he prayed in his journal. I only hope that he will let me preach to those who have never heard the name Jesus Christ. What else is worthwhile in this life? I have heard of nothing. Lord, send me. The worldwide proclamation. What's the aim? What's the aim? Uh, Paul's aim is to bring about from all nations the obedience of faith. Verse 16, chapter 16, 26C. Um, Romans 1, 5, "...through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations." You can see the Apostle Paul sort of reiterating the aim of the gospel being proclaimed is so that people might come to the obedience of faith. So what's up with that? Well, you know We're justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone. But you guys have heard this before. Justifying faith is never alone. Uh, when Jesus Christ invades the life of a person, it revolutionizes your life. And I, I want to just tell you one story. Another man that was converted gloriously to Jesus Christ in Milan, Italy, when he was a young man of 31 years of age, was a sex addict. He had a problem. Uh, taming the lion of lust in his life. And his biography, uh, his confessions, the confessions of St. Augustine, would do us all well to read. A man who cherished the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because it brought him out of the bondage, the bestial bondage of lust and set him free to serve God. And Romans 13, 13 and 14, was that scripture that God used to explode into the life of uh, Of Augustine um, to save him well um, he had been a a fairly promiscuous young man and he was traveling in the Roman Empire and he came to a city where he had some of his shenanigans had taken place and this young lady walked up to him Augustine is a converted young man he's been born again he is a new creature in Jesus Christ And she comes up to him seductively, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine said, I know, but it isn't I. I've been changed. The gospel of Jesus Christ has transformed my life. And I love the phrase that, that, uh, and I have prayed this for my children. I pray it for myself. It's the words of, of this Uh, saint Augustine isn't it interesting that the gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful that it can take someone like Augustine who in our terms today would be classified a sex addict someone who really misused God's precious gift of sex and transformed him to now we call him a saint he is a saint he's a member of the church triumphant he was born again And here's what I would ask you to pray for yourself and to pray for every single person that you love. This obedience of faith. Lord, bring me, bring every person that I love to the place where we delight. We delight to do what you command. We delight to do what you command. It's not a a burden. It's a delight uh, because when... God designs something he designs it not just for his glory but for our good so there you have the life transforming aim the life transforming aim of this powerful gospel of grace lastly the God glorifying result the God glorifying result of this gospel verse 27 to the only wise God Be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, everything sort of terminates here. The Apostle Paul was a God-centered man, and every time he began to talk about everything that God had done through that gospel, he crescendos into exuberant, praise. He can't even contain himself. And even in the original here, the the sentence structure of Romans 16, 25 to 27 is one sentence and it's kind of all over the place. I mean, he can't contain himself. I mean, he's up on tiptoe. And I think one of the things I want to just challenge us with is does that sort of describe us when we begin to think about all that God is for us and all that God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ? That we get up on tiptoe and we can't, we can, the exuberant joy and delight in worshiping God. This is what glory is God's magnificence. When Jesus Christ shows of his glory to his disciples, like at the wedding of Cana in John chapter 2. His disciples believe in him so one of the things we ought to know is that isn't it a great thing to know that we Romans 1 is true of us those of us who exchange the glory of the immortal God to worship created things that wasn't some pagan worshiping under a tree out in the jungles of Africa that was me I look to other things, to created things. I look to other people to give my life significance and worth and beauty and rest. And I have to come again and worship the one true living God. I was in ruin. He rescued me. And now I will live to praise Him throughout eternity, forever and ever. That is your Future, in fact, you could sort of take the, the the book of Romans is the Bible in miniature, and and here here it is uh, ruin, paradise lost. You've got Genesis one to three. Uh, this this is not this is not in your notes anywhere. Then you've got uh, then you've got Genesis four through Revelation twenty. Genesis four through Revelation twenty is redemption, God's plan to save His people, and then you've got restoration when the consummation comes and we regain paradise, Revelation 21 and 22. The same thing in the book of Romans, Romans 1, 18 to 23 and 3, 19 and 20, where we lost the glory of God. We've we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And then the Lord begins to work through uh, the second Adam to save us. And then the glory of God is regained When Gentiles and Jews come together under the banner of the cross of Jesus Christ to worship and glorify Him forever and ever. Since our salvation is by God's grace alone, it is for God's glory alone. And so the only wise God deserves all the praise, honor, and glory since He's the originator and sustainer of this wonderful plan of salvation. Guys, when I think about this, I go back to when I was a daddy with young kids and trying to think of ways to to help these little kids learn how wonderful, wonderful the gospel of Jesus is and how much Jesus loves them and and, and wanting them to know that from the earliest age. Well, one of the things I did is I got hold of uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, of C.S. Lewis, these fantasy stories of uh, this, uh, this magical land of Narnia that's under the spell of the White Witch, and it's always winter and never Christmas in Narnia. And, um, and you learn uh, uh, that uh, there's a traitor, Edmund the Just. Edmund the Just, who, uh, who tra- uh, who's a, a traitor, and basically he uh, becomes aligned with the White Witch and for some Turkish delight, a little bit more Turkish delight. And uh, what ends up happening is that um, the, deep, the deeper magic before the dawn of time, namely, that an innocent one, Aslan, the, the son of the emperor beyond the sea, the Christ figure, has to be slain in, a, in the traitor's stead. So Aslan is slain by the white witch on the stone table, Allah, the Ten Commandments. And what ends up happening is that the curse begins to revert, work backwards. And one of the most beautiful things that, that when I think about your future, when I think about my future, I was Edmund. I was the traitor. I was the one who basically sold my soul for a little bit more Turkish delight in my greed and in my cravings. And Aslan, the Christ figure, came and he was sacrificed To rescue me and to rescue Narnia from always being winter. And when Aslan comes again, we'll have spring, eternal spring. Every wrong is going to be made right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. And when he shakes his mane, winter meets his death. And when he comes again, we will have spring. What happens at the end of the story? This is to God's God's glory. Edmund, the traitor. Who is Edmund and what is Edmund doing? Edmund is no longer Edmund the traitor. He's been rescued, just like you and me. Edmund is called Edmund the just. Edmund, the one declared right with God. And what is Edmund doing in the consummation? What will you be doing in the consummation? Well, you're going to be giving glory, all glory and honor and praise forever and ever to the Lord. But what are you going to be doing? Edmund the Just at Care Paravel, he's sitting on a throne. And what is he doing? He is reigning. He is reigning. And according to Revelation, that's what the children of God are going to do. We're going to reign with Christ in his everlasting kingdom and ever live for his praise this is a glorious gospel I hope this morning that it's just a little more precious to you how do you need today to preach that gospel to your own heart the gospel is not just for the outsiders the gospel is for the oldest most mature believer in our midst Let's live to make his name great because he is powerful and he is wise enough to strengthen and to save us and to get us home to be with him forever and ever, where we'll reign with Christ in his everlasting kingdom. Amen. Let's pray together. God, our heavenly Father, I pray that you would take these truths and minister them to the hearts of these your sons. And so, Lord, may the gospel of Jesus become so precious to us that you will uh, unfold and unveil your beauty to our sight today so that we might be like Augustine. We might delight to do what you command and that we would be continuously speaking and making known to others what you mean to us and what you've done for us in your glorious gospel We make our prayer now in Jesus' name. Amen.